This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Who were here last weekend? All right, who were here for last Sunday night? Who didn't want to leave? All right. We had, um, we had a moment last weekend that was one of the most special moments of my life, I can honestly say. Not just for the church, but for me personally. Um, we had said prior to, we actually shared this with the encounter participants. Um, the Wednesday before we got to the encounter, we just said, you know, as a ministry team, we felt like, and I'll speak, I'll speak for myself, I felt like God was dealing with me. God wanted to touch my life. And and uh, I can honestly say, coming out of last weekend, God touched my life in a very significant way. Um, I've actually just been buzzing all week. I almost don't know what to do with myself. I'm just like, God, what are you doing? This is awesome. And so I had a totally different message series prepared to start today. And uh, God messed up that plan, which was awesome. And, um, and I'll tell you why. Because the moment I left Sunday night, I kept hearing this phrase over and over and over and over again in my heart and in my head, and it's been on repeat all week, and it's almost to the point where it's driving you a bit crazy, but I honestly believe it's the Lord speaking to us, and the phrase is very simple, there is more. One of the greatest detriments in my Christian walk to a move of God is the one that I like to dwell in from the past. We dwell in what happened last week, or even yesterday, or a month ago, or two years ago, or ten years ago. The church I grew up in, um, which was an awesome church, but they're still talking today about the days of, of old when, when God moved and God spoke. And you start to talk to them, it's like, oh, the good old days, you know, 1953, when God showed up. And I, and I thought to myself after last weekend, am I grateful for last weekend? You have no idea how grateful I am. Was I touched? You have no idea how much I was touched last weekend. But God is saying all week, there's more. Mm-hmm. There's more. Mm-hmm. How many ever uh, watched a, you know, a season of a television series, you, you binged one weekend, and then you get to the end, and you don't want to actually stop, and you want to watch season two, and then season three, and season four, and you just, you have this, this issue? So we have this issue right now. We're, we're like, we're, they, we call ourselves in our home, hashtag Hardies, because we love this show called When Calls the Heart. We love this show. We just want to see it. So we just finally got to the end of season four, and we just realized they haven't even made season five yet. Come on! So now i got to wait like until like next fall in order for the DVDs to come out. I'm like, I don't like it. So how many have ever had that moment where you get actually a holy discontent because you know there's something beyond where you're at right now? And you're happy with what you've seen, and you're happy with what you've experienced, but you know there's something more. And I want to, if I can just drop one thought in your heart this morning, it's don't settle for what you've experienced to to this moment today. Push forward. Push beyond. Push beyond. Some of you may say, well, you know what? I've got a pretty good life right now. God's doing good things, and I feel good. And I go, that's awesome. But do you know how many more people you can reach when there's more of God on your life? Do you know how many more people can come to Christ and come to a a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because there's a little bit more on and coming through your life? 
I can honestly say this morning um, that we're not going to do things the way we normally do things. Um, I'm going to go all over the place, and I don't even care this morning, to be honest with you, if that's okay. So if you're a guest here this morning, this is not normal. Um, but I, I just feel like we're going to worship God in the middle of the sermon. Because I think God's going to hit on certain things, and then we can't just sit here and not respond. Last Sunday morning, I read a passage from Joel chapter 2, and, and it was obviously it was for the moment for sure because the church responded. And then when I got home, I actually noticed the heading above that section in the chapter that I had never seen before. And it literally said, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that phrase, that word, has got my attention. Outpouring. So for the next four, maybe five, maybe six, I don't know how long I'm going to go. I may just go to Christmas Eve. I don't know. We're going to talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what that looks like. We're going to talk about the promise, the preparation, the power. We're going to talk about all those things. Because we believe that we are on the edge of something that we have prayed for, that we've believed for, that we have literally sang songs about, that we have prayed and had prayer meetings for hours about. We're about ready to see something. How do I know? Because it started last week. And I don't know about you, but I've never read a book that only has one chapter. Are you ready for chapter two? And then it's what awesome is that at the end of chapter two, chapter three comes. I want you to see something different this morning. Can I give you permission this morning to have childlike faith? I want you to be like a kid this morning. Daddy, whatever you want for me, whatever you want, I'm going to get out of the way, Daddy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drop all my own little thoughts and my own agenda and my own plans, and I'm going to say to you this morning, I want the more. I want it. I want it. I'm going to read Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32, and I want you to catch some things here. And it says, and it will be that afterwards. How many have ever seen the word afterward, and then you always kind of think to yourself, well, what's it coming after? Can I give some context to what it's coming after? In the book of Joel, it starts off in Joel chapter 1, and it describes this devastation that happens across the land. There's a devastation of crops and there's a devastation of their wheat and there's a devastation of their very livelihood because locusts came in and crawling locusts and all these different types of locusts literally came in and literally destroyed every crop and every point of fruitfulness that God had designed for them was destroyed by the enemy. So sometimes when we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we don't actually see it coming from a place of perfection, we actually see it coming from a place of pain. Why? Because it's in the place of pain that we find that there's got to be something more than what I've experienced to this point. And God starts to draw you in. (laughs) He starts to paint a picture of something that you've never seen before. He starts to literally speak about things that, that he wants to, to see and to perceive and to understand, not just intellectually, but from your heart. 
devastation across the land. And then God interrupts the scene with these words. Afterwards, if you keep focused on me and don't worry about what's going on around you, don't worry about what so-and-so has said, don't worry about what your bank account says, don't worry about the doctor's report, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on some flesh, on just the ones he likes, on just people that he, that, you know, just do everything for him and come to church 17,000 times in a week, you know, just those people. Now, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Can I tell you something? You know, it was the most profound moment for me last Sunday night. It was not what God was doing in me, but what God was doing in my daughter. Tell you, there's nothing like a father to see his daughter touched by the Holy Spirit and just sit back and go, wow. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I just kept coming back to this verse in my mind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They will see something. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on the men servants and the maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. That I will work wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord. And it will be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know that the greatest revival of God, the greatest move of the Holy Spirit is right in front of us. Right in front of us. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors whom the Lord has called. What's interesting about this passage is this is the exact same passage that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in, the, in Jerusalem and it spreads out all over the place. As a matter of fact, at the end of the first day, they had 3,000 people that came to Christ that first day. They weren't eloquent of speech. Can I, can I let you know? They didn't have smoke machines and LED lights. Right? Peter was not wearing skinny jeans. He wasn't a hipster preacher. He had none of that. And I'm not against any of that stuff because God uses everybody. But here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we've created this, this, this way that God moves. God is not interested in our little box. He wants to break out of all of our boxes. He wants to move. He wants to speak. So Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. Spirit of God comes. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But he literally comes, and the response of Peter is to get up and say, I remember a day when the Bible talked about a devastation across the earth, a frustration from the nation of Israel, and a, just a crying out to God. And I remember what God said as a response to the devastation of the enemy over his people. He said, but afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Don't Look at the circumstances around you. Focus on God. Focus on God this morning. Interestingly enough, it all came in a promise. You know what's the hardest thing I, that I've personally witnessed in my life and I've witnessed in a lot of believers' lives is that the greatest stretch or the greatest issue that people who are Christians deal with 
is trusting the promises of God. Can we be real for a second this morning? Some of us have come from a background where we, we come from the camp of it's just all about the sovereignty of God. Well, God, if you move, if you choose to move today, and I just got the bingo numbers right, then everything's going to be awesome today. And then some of us fall into this camp, the other side, where it's, it's all about what we do to impress God. How can we, you know, change God's heart? How can we call upon him in such a way that gets his attention? And, and I honestly believe that we need faith, and we have to trust that God is sovereign But there comes a moment where we have to let go of all of the disappointments of past promises that we feel like we haven't seen or heard or lived out. Whether that be from a prophetic word, whether that be from God himself, whether it be from the word of God, whether that be from a friend or a family member, there comes a moment where we have to hit the restart button and we go, God, I'm going to trust you again. Say, but you don't understand what I've gone through. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus had 12 people promise that he wouldn't wouldn't leave them. And at the end of his life, he only had one left. One, John. Everyone else fled. One of them betrayed him. The other ones fled as in fear because they didn't hear tremble yet. I mean, if they heard tremble, they would have stayed right there. But they didn't hear that song tremble yet. They fled. Jesus understood a promise. He understood the promise of his father. Can I go one step further? He understood the promise of his father even when his father had to turn away from his son. For the first time in history, the father had to look away from the son when he was up on that cross because the Bible says that all the sins of the world were upon him. Why did he do that? Because he saw this word outpouring in his mind. And he kept thinking to himself, well, three days from now, I'm going to reveal myself and give proof to my friends and my disciples that there's proof of a resurrection because I'm going to be there. How many know that for us as humans, we need proof to the promise? Without proof, we struggle with the promise. Come on, let's, let's be real this morning. I want to let you know this morning, I believe God is giving us proof. He's not just giving us a promise, but he's giving us proof. I love Acts chapter 1. Peter understood the promise of Jesus. Why? Because he remembered Jesus' last words. He remembered the last thing that he said. In Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and it says, this is Luke writing, it says, in my first book I told you Theophilus, which interestingly enough means loved by God. Here's what I've realized is you can't always understand or experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit without understanding how much you are loved by God. Interesting that he didn't write it to somebody else. He wrote it to Theophilus. He actually wrote the book of Luke to Theophilus. Why? Because he wanted him to understand the humanity of Jesus and how much he loved him. In his first book, he told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved, underlined, proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He proved the resurrection by appearing to them. How many would just think that would be awesome? If we were living in that day, we just lost our Savior, we lost our Lord, we're thinking to ourselves, he's dead, he's gone, he's over with, but there's this little promise that's resonating. There's this little thing that he kept saying, and at the first time he said it, we didn't understand what he meant. But we understand now that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, he's going to rise again. That resurrection life is actually going to 
come from that tomb in three days. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We did something yesterday that was fun. We set up our house with Christmas stuff. And we, got, we went all out this year because we got a second tree like crazy. You know what I'm saying? That's like, you know, that's kids, you know, playing on daddy's weakness and then daddy having a weakness. Daddy going to Canadian Tire, the whole center of weakness. Right? And daddy didn't leave that whole area of weakness for a good hour and 20 minutes because daddy was seeing things that he hadn't seen before. And he keeps coming back to mommy saying, hey, mommy, let's get this one too. And then she quenched the Holy Spirit in that moment. Totally quenched the Holy Spirit speaking to me in such clarity. There was even moments where I believe God wrote on the wall. Can I say this morning that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is like this amazing gift that Jesus placed under the tree. And it's not something that you have to wait 365 days to open up. You can have it any single day of your life. In any moment and in any circumstance and in any place, you can open it up. And you can experience what Peter described in Acts chapter 2 and 3 as the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Refreshing. Amen? The promise of baptism. Do you know one of the definitions of the word baptism means? Overwhelm. Outpour. Get your attention. It's not just about immersion. It's about overwhelming. I remember when I had my baptism years ago. I remember going in and I, can I be honest for a second? I, I, I remember going to my baptism and I felt so guilty because I should have done it much sooner than I did. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and putting it off and putting it off. And So if you're here this morning and you keep putting it off, November 26th is a great day to not put it off any longer. There's my little two cents. But I remember coming into that day and I thinking to myself, God, I don't understand. Like, I want to serve you, but I just I feel guilty. I'm more concerned about dis, the disobedience of not following through than I was about God's love in that moment. And I remember my pastor, Pastor Scott at the time, he took me aside and he looked at He obviously knew something was going on. And back in the day, I, you know, you couldn't hide it. I... I I wore my emotions on my sleeve. And he said to me, listen, he said, do you know what God's done for you? I went, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know that God's love breaks off everything of the enemy and opens a door to a new life and a new perspective and a new understanding of his presence like ever before? I went, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, so are you going to receive that today? I went, Yeah. He goes, I don't think you are. And I went, what? He goes, you're conflicted. I went, yeah. I feel guilt. Why? Because I should have done this a long time ago. He says, where's that coming from? Well, I don't know. And he actually sat me down and in his office, and we prayed for about 15 minutes, and he basically said, today's your day. Not just because of what you've done, but today's your day because what God wants to do in your life. 
And I remember sitting in that tank, and I came out of those waters, and I felt for the first time in my life, and I grew up Pentecostal. You think to yourself, I would have felt this. I came out of the waters that day. I was 19 years of age, and I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. And for the first time in my life, I understood there's more. There's more. There's more than what I've experienced. But there takes not just a promise and a proof of a promise, but there takes a preparation that has to happen. We have to prepare ourselves. How many know that the Holy Spirit has to come on things that are holy? Holy things, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, feel the presence and the weightiness of God in such a powerful way. If it's okay, I want to I do something I, I don't normally do, but I, I love numerology. I love prophetic symbolism. I love that stuff. And I just want to camp on something that I think is really, really cool. I believe that God wants to give proof this morning of his promise. And I believe God wants to back up his promise with proof. Amen? There's a very interesting little part of Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 30, and it says, Then I will work wonders. In other words, I will give proof (laughs) in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. How many know that that is a solar eclipse? And the moon will be turned to blood. And for those that know your astrology and your astronomy or all those other things, you'll know that when a, the moon turns to red or turns to blood, or they call it a blood moon, it's when there's a full lunar eclipse. Interesting. It says, before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord. Genesis chapter 114, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of teaching about a whole bunch of different things, but I want to just land on one little thought this morning to to kind of inspire you to think that maybe God's up to something right now. That maybe there's a shift that's been happening uh, across the world. Sometimes we see it in a very negative way, but I believe it's incredibly powerful. The last word that Jesus said, and Jesus actually referenced this concept in Luke 21, 25, just before he died. And for those that don't know the history, Jesus died and he was the age of 33. 33 has tremendous significance in in the scriptures. It has tremendous significance in a lot of ways. Interestingly enough, the number three is the number of God, the number of the Trinity, and you put three and three together, you got 33. Jesus died when he was 33. And I honestly believe that the August 21st eclipse is declaring something to us today, something very significant. And I believe that God made a declaration in the heavens that the time of the enemy messing with the church is over and the Holy Spirit's outpouring is about ready to happen. Amen? So there are some crazy, crazy parallels with the August 21st eclipse, which was a full uh, solar eclipse, which is basically talking about the sun will be turned to darkness. Are you ready for this? That's going to rhyme off a bunch of these things. The last time that a full total solar eclipse happened across the continental North America was in 1918, exactly 99 years from this one. Three times 33. The number of God times, if I say the number of Jesus when he died. The first point of contact um, with North America happened in Oregon. And if you don't know your history, your American history, you'd know that Oregon was the 33rd state that came into the Union. It literally left or left the continental United States at a single point in South Carolina at the 33rd parallel. 
the actual eclipse lasted exactly one hour and 33 minutes from the time it touched the American coast to the time it left. One hour, 33 minutes. It happened on the 233rd day of the year. I think there's too much coincidence just to kind of ignore it. I don't know about you. The first major city that it hit in Oregon is the capital city of Oregon. And for those that maybe know your history, you know it's Salem. Salem, in its historical um, documents, chose the word Salem because it wanted to represent uh, Christian faith in America. And so it chose the name Salem as a spinoff of Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, peace, the city of peace. Interesting fact is the moment that the sun started to fade over the city of Salem, Oregon, was the exact same moment that the sunset happened in Jerusalem. I don't think that's coincidental. I don't know about you, I don't think that's coincidental. The next total solar eclipse actually takes place on August the 8th, 2024. And what's interesting is it's actually going to hit here. So we are going to be under a complete total solar eclipse, August the 8th, 2024, for approximately three minutes, um, which is, again, again, kind of interesting. You know what's really interesting about August the 8th is that it's the 99th day of the year, three times 33. If you were to take the path of the of 2017 um, eclipse and you were to actually take the path of the 2024 eclipse and you actually find the center point, it's actually in a town called Makanda, Illinois, which used to be called Little Egypt, and it's known as its nickname. They call it the Star of Egypt. Interesting that Jesus' uh, arrival on the scene came from the Star of Bethlehem. I just wonder if, if there's an outpouring that's about to happen that's going to be announced from the Star of Egypt. I don't know. Just makes you wonder. Interestingly enough, the main road in Makanda, Illinois, right over where the cross or the X is happening, is called Salem Road. It's the main line coming right through Makanda. Interesting that that happens. In the Jewish culture, they have this thing called, uh, a, I'm not even going to say it correctly, but it's a gematria, and it's an alphanumeric code adopted by the Jewish culture that actually uh, has a corresponding number to a particular word. And they, that's, it, it's something that, for you, if you have any kind of Jewish historian background, you would know this to be true. And the word eclipses number is 33 in the Jewish code. Interesting. One more and one last interesting fact. The last, because this particular verse in Joel chapter 2 actually references the connection between a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse. And the last time that a lunar, total lunar eclipse happened over this whole area was September the 28th, 2015, exactly 99 weeks from this eclipse in August. 99. Three times 33. I'm not a guy that kind of goes on these rants about these kind of things. I'm really not. I've had a lot of people come to me and talk to me about a whole pile of things in the last 10 years, and I'm not a guy that jumps on these things. But could it be that God's trying to get our attention in the same way that he got people's attention 2,000 years ago by putting a very large, strange star over Bethlehem. Interestingly enough, when Jesus died, it says that the sky went dark. Have you ever wondered what that could have been? Did Jesus' death, was it symbolized by an eclipse? Total 
solar eclipse the moment he died. Well, we weren't there, so we don't know, but it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Why am I saying all this this morning? Because I want you to know there's things happening right now that whether we believe it or not, or whether we understand it fully or not, that God is literally saying to us, get ready. Something is shifting. Something is changing. Interestingly enough, the same word in Joel chapter 2 that's used to uh, pour out is the same word that's used to shed blood. To pour out, to shed blood. There's three references I want you to see this morning very quickly. If Exodus chapter 29, verse 12, you can just write that down. It's literally the moment that Aaron and his sons were consecrated for the priestly role. And it literally says as they prayed for them and they released them into their priestly role for the first time, that they literally shed blood over the altar. Same word that's used from Joel chapter 2. Leviticus 4, 7, it says, and they came with a sin offering that was given. Another word for the sin offering back in Bible days was the purification offering, holy offering. And it says where blood was poured out onto the altar. Same word used. Hannah, that came before uh, the priest to literally say, you know, I believe God for the promise of a son or the promise of a child to come. It literally says that she poured out her soul to God. And right after that, she received the promise of her son Samuel. There's a pouring out. There's a pouring forth that has to happen. Why am I landing on this this morning? Can I say something that I've learned in, in the last, you know, 20, especially 20 years of my life? Is that an outpouring never comes without a pouring forth that comes from us first. Do you know why something happened on Saturday night at the encounter? Because there's a group of people that had poured out everything to God. God, I'm, I don't want to leave this place the same. I don't want to leave it the same, Lord. I want to be changed from the inside out. And as a result, we saw something so amazing last Saturday night. What happened Sunday night? People who came here Sunday night wanted to meet with Jesus. And they weren't going to leave this place until they met with Jesus. There was a pouring forth that happened. How many know that whenever you have kind of restoration of relationships or reconciliation of relationships, whether it's, you know, even husband and wife, whether it's kids or friends or family, it doesn't matter. The moment that God shows up on the scene and actually does the work is the moment that we pour forth what's on the inside. And you can't have the outpouring of the Spirit of God without the pouring forth from us. So what do we need to do this morning? We need to do what the nation of Israel did in Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2 prior to verse 28. And this is all I'm going to say this morning and then we're going to worship God. What do we need to do? Joel chapter 1, very interestingly enough, in verse 5, He commanded the nation to wake up. How many know, um, I can say this being a father of five, that there's certain children in our home that are much harder to wake up than others. I'm not going to talk about which ones. You know, you can just guess. Um, There's some that I wish would sleep much longer. I wish that the Lord would teach them how to sleep for like 20 straight hours, but it doesn't happen. 
But as a parent, you know one of the things that I've realized is when you're trying to get your children up, it's not because you want to be annoying. It's because there's something that they have to do that they have to be ready for. And people that haven't woken up aren't ready for it. People that, have you ever seen your kids try to just wake up, get out, and fly out the door, even though they're not really, they forgot their books, they forgot their backpack, they forgot their lunch, they forgot all this stuff. And then they show up and they wonder why they're not prepared for school that day. Again, not mentioning any names. I wouldn't do that. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. They miss the blessing of what God, or in that particular case, the teacher wanted to give them that day. Because we weren't prepped. We weren't ready. We weren't awake for what God wanted to say to us. Joel chapter 1 verse 8, he says, weep. Oh, what do we have to weep about? We got to weep about those things that greatly offend our Father. Those attitudes, those sins, those, those things that we've put in the way. We have to weep. Why? Because it's a response of remorse from our heart. It's a weeping. It's a lamenting. Actually, the King James says to lament. And if you actually understand that word in the, in the Old Testament, it's powerful. They used to rend the garments and literally pull their garments away. And they would literally sit in sackcloth and ashes in order to prove to God that they're remorseful. I'm so thankful we don't have to do that today. But what's God saying? In order to experience the outpouring, we have to pour out the junk that's in our lives and get right with God. Next verse. Verse 14, he says, call a sacred assembly. And just so that the nation didn't miss it, he repeats it in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Call a sacred assembly. Then he uses the same phrase that Joshua used in Joshua chapter 3. Consecrate yourselves. Why? Because the promise is just on the other side. But if you're not ready then what will potentially happen is the outpouring will come and come upon you and roll right off of you. How many have ever been in a room where you're sitting there and because you're dealing with things, you're struggling with things and you see other people getting touched? Could be at church, could be at a conference, could be at a small group, doesn't matter. And, you're, and the person next to you is just like, can you feel that? <laughs> and you're like, no. I don't feel nothing. How many have ever been the person that's really excited? You know, how many have ever been the person, you know, that's not? Don't put up your hand for that one. Um, here's what I've learned. God wants a prepared heart to receive his promise. The moment the promise is given, he responds with proof. The proof validates the process, which causes us to consistently lead to a prepared heart in order to experience his purpose. But if we don't understand that process and we don't understand the steps that go into it, what often happens is, is we're sitting around it, but it's not coming in. We can have it, you know, have you ever been like, you know, some of those parks where you have the mist coming off a water park and you can feel the mist. And it's like, oh, it's so refreshing. And it's almost like we're teased to go for more, but we always stay right there. And I just feel like God wants to take us from that place to a whole different place. Interestingly enough, Joel chapter 2, verses 18 to 24, it says God brings refreshing. Joel chapter 2, verses 25 to 27, it says that God brings restoration. He restores that which the locust has eaten. And then verse 28 and 29, it says God brings revival, outpouring. But there's a process. Refreshing, restoration, 
revival. You know what I've experienced this week, and I've heard it from a number of people, that God is restoring certain situations or certain promises or certain relationships that they have never seen before. And you know why? Because there was a refreshing that happened on Sunday. God starts to deal with issues that are off this week, and he starts to say, okay, get in alignment with my process of restoration. And guess what's on the other side? Revival. The pouring out of his spirit in such tangible ways that we will be blown away forever and ever and ever and ever. I want you to understand the process here. Bethlehem presented Emmanuel, God with us. Calvary presented a Savior, God for us. Pentecost provided God in us. The Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask a really crazy question of you this morning, but I want you to think about this. If you could have a choice between Jesus and the flesh walking side by side with you or the Holy Spirit in you, what would you choose? Most of us would say Jesus in the flesh because it's something tangible, something we can relate to, something we can connect to. We understand. But Jesus actually says, it's better that I go away. It's better that I leave. John 14, 12, that you will do greater things than I have done because I've gone to the Father. Uh, we're going to do greater things? How does that, how's that possible? It's when the church understands that the Holy Spirit upon a holy church produces holy results that absolutely transform regions, cities, nations in the world. I don't know about you this morning, but I feel like God is stirring us up to believe for something greater. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and then we're going to just sing a song here. But you shall receive power, the word dunamis. Um, most of us have heard the word dunamis. We understand it's power. Actually translated into the English, it's dynamite. Um, but there was um, something that I caught when I was looking up the meaning. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Or we can say it like this, has been poured out upon you. Um, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What's interesting about the power here is it's not just talking about the miraculous that you see. It's actually talking about the miraculous within. How many have ever had those moments where you're always like, I don't know, God, if I can ever let you have that part of my life. God, I don't know if I can ever let you touch that area of my life because it's so hurt. It's so wounded. It's, I, I just, I don't, I don't trust anybody. What this word is talking about is the miraculous within that produces the miraculous without. Outside. Around. Say, so how is that possible? You have to believe the promise. You have to believe that there's a really big present under the tree just for you. You have to believe that there's a process of preparation. That God wants to prepare our hearts to receive his best. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest ways in my life that I've missed the things of God is because I wasn't prepared enough that what happened was a moment that God wanted to turn into a movement but for me became a monument. It's a big problem. So I keep coming back to that monument every once in a while and go, remember when? That was so awesome. That was such the most amazing time. And God was like, yeah, but there was so much more. Say after me this morning, there's more. There's more. There's more. 
That's what God wants you to see this morning. There is more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.